Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Ve sallallahu ala seyyidina Muhammedin ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ecmain. Assalamu alaikum ve rahmetullahi ve berekatuhu. Welcome back to Left or Right, The Straight Path, Please. A podcast for Muslim women brought to you by MISC Women, the Muslim Institute for Sacred Knowledge. And this podcast forms our contextual competency base. And in it, we will discuss ideas, ideologies, theories, and all the crazy things that are going on out there so that as Muslim women, we have a proper and sound understanding of the contemporary context that we're living in. And inshallah, we're able to develop a skill and a competency through the Islamic scholarly and spiritual tradition to understand navigate for ourselves and live a successful life with a successful outcome in the next life, inshallah ta'ala. My name is Um Abdullah, I'm your host, and I welcome you today to our second podcast in this series. Before we begin, we must always start with a proper intention. And inshallah, from now on, we will be reading the dua of Imam Haddad, rahimahullah, uh, his particular du'a for seeking knowledge and for, inshallah, Allah granting us orientation and alignment, the correct orientation and alignment that's required for us to walk on the siratul mustaqim in this dunya and, inshallah, lead us to success in the akhirah. So we will begin, inshallah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Nuaitu ta'aluma wa ta'alim wa tadakura wa tadkir wa nafa wa lintifa' wa l-ifada wa l-istifada والحث على تمسك بكتاب الله وسنة رسوله والدعاء إلى الهدى والدلالة على الخير ابتغاء وجه الله ومرضاته وكربه وثوابه سبحانه وتعالى That means all praise to Allah, Lord of the worlds. I intend to learn and teach, to remember and remind, to benefit myself and to benefit others, to derive usefulness and extend it to others. To encourage adherence to the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to call to guidance, direct towards good, seeking thereby the countenance of Allah, His divine pleasure, closeness, and His reward, the most exalted and high. Ameen. Inshallah, after our last podcast, you will have a better idea now of the types of concepts that we, inshallah, intend to deal with throughout this series, um, the three main aspects of developing an understanding of the context, developing a skill to be able to apply to the context for navigating our way through it, and the development of a proper paradigm for that skill, which is drawn from the Islamic scholarly and spiritual tradition. And the particular aspect of that tradition that we will be taking is Surat al-Fatiha and the key metaphor of the Surat al-Mustaqim, the straight path. So this particular concept is, of course, in the surah itself, where we say, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, ihdina sirat al-mustaqim, when we ask Allah to guide us on the straight path, sirat al-adhina an'amta alayhim, when we say, O oh Allah, guide us on the straight path, the path of those whom you have blessed and not the path of those who have earned your wrath or gone astray. 
So in this particular concept of the straight path, we have that path which those who have been blessed have traversed and then we have the path or the paths of others who did not earn the divine blessing because they erred on their path and they went off in a different direction. So apart from in the surah itself, there are several other proofs, textual proofs or dalils that we can uh, draw this whole concept from. And one of them is a particular hadith. خَتَّلَنَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ خَتَّن ثُمَّ قَال Abdullah ibn Masood, may Allah be pleased with him, said, uh, the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam drew a line in the sand or drew for us a line in the sand. Then he said, هَذَا سَبِيلُ اللَّهِ ثُمَّ خَتَّ خُطُوطًا عَنْ يَمِينِهِ وَعَنْ شِمَالِهِ He said, this is the path, the straight path of Allah. And then he drew lines to the right of it and to the left. Then he said, هَذِهِ سُبُلٌ مُتَفَرِّقَةٌ عَلَى كُلِّ سَبِيلٍ مِنْهَا شَيْطَانٌ يَدْعُوا Then he said, these are other paths which divert from the straight path. Upon each of them is a shaitan calling to it. Then he recited an ayah from the Quran and he said, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. وَأَنَّ هَذَا صِرَاتِي مُسْتَقِيمًا فَاتَّبِعُوهُ وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا السُّبَلَ فَتَفَرَّقَ بِكُمْ عَنْ سَبِيلِهِ Which means, this is my path. وَأَنَّ هَذَا صِرَاتِي مُسْتَقِيمًا Which is the path of Allah because it's written in the first person of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is my path, the path of Allah, which is straight. So follow it. And do not follow the other paths, lest they divert you from his path. Okay, so this is narrated in Ahmed and Ibn Majah and Ad-Darimi. So reliable sources there, alhamdulillah. So basically the main concept is that the Prophet, he drew a straight path and then he drew lines to either side. And he said, most importantly... These are the other paths which divert from the straight path. Upon each of them is the shaitan calling to it. Which means what? It means that there is a straight path and there are other ways of those who have left that straight path and who have earned the wrath of Allah or have gone astray. So this is really the whole point. And there's a shaitan calling to it. And there's a shaitan calling to it which indicates that these other paths will be beautified because as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَزَيَّنَ لَهُمُ الشَّيْطَانُ وَعَمَالَهُمْ And indeed the shaytan has beautified and adorned their deeds. So the thing is that people will look at what they're doing and see an inherent truth, an inherent beauty and an inherent goodness in it, even though that thing may be completely khabith, vile, or it could be ugly, it could be of all the possible opposite qualities to what it looks like on the outside, and that's the way of the shaytan, which is a way of deception and fraud, really, because it he cheats us out of the proper way, out of the good way, out of things that are wholesome and tayyib, and he leads us on a path where we think it's nice, but it's actually a path of destruction and a path that will uh, ruin us on the inside and the outside. 
When we consider this in light of some of the ideologies in our time and when we look at the politics, when we look at the things that people are saying and doing and calling humanity to, under the guise or the pretense that there is something inherently good about it and that it will bring about some type of change that will benefit people and the way that these ideas have become so beautified to the adherence of these ideologies is something that as Muslims we need to always look at with a sceptical eye because we can have a look at something and say, oh yeah, that looks okay, that makes sense, I can see how that works, yeah, that's right and then based on the type of education that we've had and the type of values that have been instilled in us Uh, particularly if we've grown up in a Western context, then we may even agree with that and think that there is something fundamentally and inherently true about some of these views that are being espoused. And it's only when we develop for ourselves a proper and grounded and holistic universal framework which is based on a proper Islamic tradition, then we can actually see the reality behind some of these beautified ideas and understand that, no, this is not beautiful. This is indeed ugly. Why? Because it's calling to the opposite of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has called us to. And it's something which diverts and digresses and often perverts and subverts the straight path, or it certainly has the potential to do that if it's followed. So these are the things that we need to be very aware of and we need to make sure that every single idea that comes to us, we have a proper filter, a proper way of understanding what is this idea, where does it come from, how does it manifest, what is it leading to, and then weigh that up against what we know to be the truth, what we know to be sound, correct, wholesome and halal, from our tradition and then inshallah be able to choose the right path, choose the straight path that will take us on a sound journey back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that will enable us to fulfill the covenant to worship Allah as he has created us for because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا خَلَقَتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ Okay, I've not created the jinn and the human beings except to worship me and as uh, Sayyidina Abdullah uh, ibn Abbas said that li'abudun means li'arifun means to know me so we have been created with hearts and minds and souls which are hardwired with a fitra to know so the fitra is something which is the primordial being or the primordial state in the human being, which is created in order to learn. So whatever type of information comes, whatever type of knowledge or whatever the fitra in the human being is exposed to, then it will tend to incline towards that. And so if it is that the fitra is led on a different path, then the fitra will come to think that that path is true and right and good. And then the intellect will rationalise so that the fitra feels that it's correct and that, of course, leads to a deep connection with the nafs. So the nafs will then begin to want to protect and to defend these ideas so that the person feels that they're right, they feel justified, uh, they feel that um, they're walking on the straight path and it might be that that path is actually one which is completely divergent and one which is not straight at all but which is completely crooked. Whereas if the fitra is exposed to p- 
pure knowledge is exposed to Tawheed, is exposed to the love of the Prophet ﷺ and grows up with the values of mercy, grows up with compassion and giving and looking at others with an eye of respect and love, then inshallah the fitra is nurtured properly and what knowledge comes to it is absorbed and helps develop it in a positive and merciful way. And inshallah if the person then trains themselves through or they get trained by their parents, proper tarbiyah, and as they grow up with that tarbiyah, that self-disciplining, as they grow up with um, a good upbringing which is based on firm and wise morals and the development of good character, then the person's fitra will be, uh, will be finely tuned to be able to see the good and the khair and the tayyib and what's halal and pure and will be able to turn away and shun that which is ugly and vile and, uh, and dark and evil. And so the thing is that's very important for us to know what we put into ourselves in terms of information and knowledge, how that gets processed inside, and then what sort of path that will lead us towards. So that's a little bit about the fitra. And what's really important when it comes to the fitras being designed to accept knowledge is that we need to develop in our own selves a proper conception of knowledge. And in terms of epistemology, which is the study of knowledge and how it's formed and formulated, then inshallah we'll go into that later when we get into the philosophical aspects of Surat al-Fatiha. But basically there are two key concepts when it comes to any type of knowledge. And those, t- those two core concepts are called tasawwur, which is a conception, and tasdik, which is making a judgment on that particular conception. So the thing is that if we have a conception of truth, which is grounded in ideas and ideologies and things which come from perhaps an atheistic background or a very materialistic background, then the types of perceptions and conceptions that we have about the world will be formulated accordingly. So if we decide then that these types of conceptions are true, if we make a a judgment on that, then we can find ourselves following paths and following ideas and interpretive frameworks that are inherently at odds with our Islamic framework and the Islamic paradigm or worldview, which inshallah we need to have established soundly so that we don't get diverted by misconceptions and misinterpretations of things. So as an example, we'll look at two uh, just briefly and we'll look at how if we take a certain conception of something, we're able to interpret it through particular paradigms and then have a look at those paradigms in relation to how we might see that from an Islamic point of view. And why are we doing this? Because we're talking about the methodology of being able to apprehend and perceive something that's going on in our world context. And as we mentioned before, um, develop for ourselves an ability and a skill to interpret that particular context, but based on a framework which is developed from the Islamic scholarly tradition. So we'll have a look at the climate as an example. Okay, so we have readily observable, physically observable and physically experienced changes 
that are going on around us in the world at the moment through weather patterns, through the rising sea levels, through um, the pollution, the plastic, the oceans being choked up by garbage, things like that, um, species being wiped out, becoming extinct. There are many, many things that we can physically observe and know that are happening and changing in the world. So the thing is that how do we interpret that? And why is the interpretation important? Because depending on how we interpret it, it will determine for us the path that we take when it comes to wanting to rectify that situation and achieve an outcome which is uh, hopefully better than the situation that we're currently in. The mainstream interpretation of the climate issues at the moment are such that We have a problem, for example, the excessive consumption of fossil fuels, and we need to change that. And so the skill, okay, that this particular interpretation is leading towards is that we need to reduce, for example, uh, fossil fuel emissions through an educative process. So that educative process, which inshallah will lead people to understanding the situation and acting on it to reduce the emissions, is through awareness, okay, which is a mass public education campaign. And after that comes action, where now you get people who have learnt about the issue and now start to act on it. And that might be through strikes, through the school strike, through protests, through uh, children and young people being put forward as leaders to speak to actual world leaders about environmental issues that they're concerned about, through um, political and economic pressure, for example, writing to local members of parliament or Congress or wherever, um, and also economic pressure by refusing to buy products which are not sustainable and instead choosing uh, products and items which come from sustainable sources like fair trade, recycled, etc. So the goal of the current conception of the global climate change is to make governments develop policy and put pressure on big business, multinational corporations and those who control and own and distribute fossil fuels to make them cooperate and reduce the current level of emissions. Okay, so there's our conception of the problem and there's the path or the skill that needs to be taken in order to achieve this goal of reducing the emissions. So what is that path or goal? Where does that originate from? And it originates from a revolutionary framework. It originates from the masses understanding that there's a problem and understanding that the power to change that problem is within the few who have most of the control which would be government and big business, and basically through activism and through revolutionary activity, such as striking and protesting and changing um, spending habits and things like that, that they're going to put enough pressure on and force this change that they've been educated to believe needs to take place in order to save the environment, create a sustainable economy and usage, and inshallah, preserve the earth this place that we live on for future generations. So that's an example of the conceptualization of an issue, a strategy which needs to be taken to change that 
and the ideology or the particular paradigm from which that strategy emerges and is justified and could enable it to take place. If we look at another issue, a global issue as well, we can see it from also from ideological perspectives and then also from the Islamic perspective. So if we look at poverty, for example, there's rich and there's poor. We know that this is a fact of humanity that's always been there. And so we need to ask why they're rich people and why they're poor people. And so what sort of ways can we develop for ourselves to try and change that gap? How can we bring about a more just society with a more equal distribution of wealth? if it is indeed that that's what you're seeking. So let's have a look at this concept of rich and poor and trying to bridge the massive divide. And let's have a look at that from three different perspectives. So first of all, from the conservative perspective or what is now termed the right-wing perspective. So traditionally, when you look at a conservative point of view about wealth and poverty, If you look at it from an individualistic point of view, then it's up to the individual to change their situation. And the capitalist structure is such that it allows for free markets, it allows for individual freedom and liberty for people to pursue their own sources of wealth and to enrich themselves through hard work, through dedication, self-sacrifice, and by being able to understand that these are the real qualities which make a person and which will make you successful. So this is really uh, part of the Protestant work ethic where basically your success and your prosperity depends on your own hands and your own work. So if people want to become rich and bring themselves out of poverty, then first of all they need to stop being lazy, they need to work harder, they need to save harder, They perhaps in this day and age need to have less children and they need to take the responsibility for improving their own situation and that will bring about the desired income which is is increased wealth for that particular person and then that will have a flow-on effect. So if somebody makes money and perhaps they're part of an industry, they can employ others and that will help uh, lift them out of poverty and change their situation, etc. So this is a, a conservative way of looking at an issue, looking at a means to change that issue and applying a certain ideological perspective in order to bring about that particular desired result. If we look at wealth and poverty and the major difference between the rich and the poor from a standard left-wing point of view, we will see that it's viewed somewhat differently and it's got to do with power and it's got to do with structural impediments the inherent dynamic between those who have and those who do not have. And the idea is to bring about change so that the masses who do not have are able to take control of the wealth that those who do have the wealth actually own and redistribute it so that everybody has the same amount of wealth and that there is an equal uh, distribution of wealth in the society. So the goal is not for individuals to enrich themselves, but for the society to be enriched as a whole. And what's stopping that is the structure of the society itself. So we have to bring down the rich and 
enrich the poor. So the thing is that these inherent qualities or inequalities in the capitalist system now at this point have got to do or are perceived that they have got to do not just with class but with gender, race, ethnicity and sexuality. So wealth and power has traditionally been concentrated in the hands of white European heterosexual ruling class men. So that's the five big categories. And the structural inequality there has to change. So therefore that power that they've always had now has to be uh, overthrown through a revolution and through a massive social change, which means that those who are women or any other gender identity, non-European, non-white skin, so anybody else, so that they have an opportunity now to take that power and redistribute wealth in the society. So there we have the conceptualization of an issue, a desired outcome, and an ideological basis which justifies the means to try and achieve that outcome. If we look at it finally from an Islamic point of view, we will see that poverty and wealth have been written by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that each person has designated and preordained for them the exact amount of wealth and sustenance that they will have in their lifetime and that when that rizik, that sustenance, has finished, then the person's life will finish because they will have used everything that was written for them to be used in their life. And if we look at the distribution between the rich and the poor, we see that the poor actually have a right to the wealth of those who have it and that the wealthy are obliged and it's a religious obligation to share some of their wealth and to give those without their huck, to give them their their due. So the thing is that we have 2.5% zakah, uh, an obligatory charity that has to be given once a certain amount of wealth has been reached. It must be given to eight specific categories of people mentioned in the Quran. And it is through that distribution of wealth and the money that's paid um, either on money or the amount of livestock or grains or fruit uh, that a person pays their zakah on. So depending on how many camels they have, then they'll give a certain number of sheep or if they have a certain weight of grain or uh, dates, for example, then a certain proportion of that will be distributed. So the idea is to enable people who are the most needy to not only have something but, inshallah, to come out of poverty through the redistribution from the rich to the poor. And the reason for that, the wisdom behind it, is because it purifies the wealth of a person. So we have physical purity. We need to ritually purify ourselves in order to pray. We have internal purity where we try to purify our heart from blameworthy qualities and adorn ourselves with praiseworthy qualities. And also we have a purification which takes place through the paying of the zakah on our wealth. So things that we own, but they're not actually literally a part of us. And then on top of that, we have sadaqah, which is voluntary charity. And sadaqah is so great that it wards off evil. 
Um, it wards off illness and calamities. It's a source of increasing our rank with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, it builds bridges between people. It makes sure that neighbours look after each other. And to give sadaqah and to help people financially is one of the greatest acts of worship. So from an Islamic point of view, we have a completely different conception of wealth and poverty and we have a completely different outcome okay and what or desired outcome and we have a completely different and a holistic way of achieving that outcome and that's through the application of the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to pay the tax and also to give charity and to help people and to make sure that wealth is distributed in a way that everybody benefits from it. Those people are purified and those who need it have it and inshallah they themselves will soon be able to pay zakah and continue to help others around them to the best of their ability. When we're grounded in our tradition, when we have a proper understanding of what our tradition is and how things are conceptualised within it, when we understand what the goals of our tradition and our religion are and when we understand the things that we need to develop in order to achieve those goals, then inshallah we'll, we'll be in a strong enough position to be able to resist some of the calling that other ideologies are out there seeking for us to become a part of. And we will be in a better position to be able to not only turn away from them, but to turn away from them with sound knowledge. And this is really the goal. It's to understand what's going on and to properly empower ourselves with real knowledge, which has been developed from revelation over the last 14 centuries. And inshallah, it's up to us in this generation to take a very firm hold of that and to imbibe it and act on it properly and pass that on to the next generations. Because if we don't, then we run the risk of them not having a proper connection or understanding of their deen and very easily succumbing to these calls from the left and the right or wherever they may come from, the calls from the shayateen which are beautifying these different conceptualizations, these different goals and these different ways of achieving them which are very appealing and very seductive and very popular and particularly the leftist ones and they're the ones that so many Muslims we can see around us have already decided to go on those paths and to heed the calls and many of them are even activists for particular types of views and ideologies and are seeking in turn to change aspects of Islam or to reinterpret Islam through those ideologies which clearly come from sources which are foreign to the Islamic scholarly and spiritual tradition and if they become so strong and acted upon really run the risk of destroying the understanding of ourselves and our young people and the generations to come and letting our deen slip from our fingers. And that's really what we don't want at all. And we ask Allah to protect us, to increase us in beneficial knowledge and give us the ability to act on it. So inshallah, we will be in this generation, in our time, those who hold the flag high those who know what their deen is and how to act on it with integrity and with rahmah and who are able to pass it on in the best way possible. 
Ve sallallahu ala seyyidina Muhammedin ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem. Velhamdülillahi rabbil alemin. Esselamu aleykum ve rahmetullahi ve berekatuhu. I look forward to seeing you in the next podcast. İnşallah. Esselamu aleykum. Allah'a yafadkum.